Good evening. Great to be here this evening. Happy 2024. Praise the Lord. Happy 2024. What are we expecting in this year? Plans? You guys have big plans? Woody's probably got big plans. Give me a thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, you do. We got big plans. Do do any of you feel like time goes by a lot faster these days? Shoo, it goes by fast, doesn't it? And do you ever have the feeling, thank God I'm not living my life for this life? Because it would go by pretty quick, wouldn't it? And to think that people have plans for this year of 2024, personal goals and business goals and all of that. But what does it really mean in 50 years, 70 years, or 10 years, or 5 years? But Paul had the secret, didn't he? That if you live for Christ... And if you treasure Christ in this life, it's the only thing that's transferable, that gets wired over into eternity. So wouldn't it be great this year in 2024 if our vision and our goal for this year is to treasure Christ more? Wouldn't that be a great goal? Isn't that what we're here for? We can even in the ministry, we're going here, we're going there, we got this going on, we got that going on. That's all good and fine. But our goal is to treasure Christ more. Don't we want to treasure Christ? Think about the new creation. We're excited about the new creation. What is the world going to look like? It's going to be glorious. We have a viewpoint of the world. We go and we see the Grand Canyon or we see the Alps or we see the the beautiful lakes and oceans and all of that. But what's the new creation going to look like? It's going to be magnificent. But you know what's going to be even more magnificent than the new creation? is that the new creation is not going to need a sun or a moon to light it, but Christ's glory is going to reflect the light onto the new creation. I mean, just how glorious is he's going to be? Even the new creation in comparison to who Christ is is not going to be anything. When we see Christ, we're going to see beauty like where our little bodies wouldn't even be able to handle That's exciting. And to think we're getting glimpses of it today, aren't we? And we get it from this these white pages with the black letters on it. And you think, how can I see beauty in this book right here of genealogies and fancy language that I don't even understand? But the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the beauty of Christ through the Word, which erupts in our heart, so that we exalt his name. Wasn't that a beautiful song in worship? That we exalt thee? I mean, that's just a warm-up to that amazing choir that we're going to be able to join into one day when Christ is at the center. And we are going to sing with every fiber of our spiritual bodies that we exalt thee. Because there's no other name that is even close to the magnificence in the beauty of who Christ is. That's going to be an awesome day. And when we treasure him today in this life, Paul says, man, it's gain if I go home and I be with him because he is my treasure. It's amazing that in life we can treasure a lot of things, but they don't transfer to heaven, do they? The only thing that will transfer to heaven is our treasure that we treasure in Christ. Amen. All right, so let's open up a prayer and then we'll just look at a few different things in the scripture this evening. And 
We just want just to be in that spirit of that worship and to just ask the Lord to quicken us and open our eyes to see the beauty of Christ in a new way. So, Lord, we just come to you this evening and we just thank you for a place where we can come and see your beauty and see your glory. And that this is not a work of man. This is not anything based upon man whatsoever. But rather that you have chosen us and placed us into your heavenly family. And you have given us new spiritual eyes to be able to behold your beauty. And we just ask this evening that we can be relaxed. And we can be quickened and we can concentrate for a few moments on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, we'll see how this goes. And I just believe that you talk about Christ, you can't lose, right? (laughs) If you don't know what to talk about, talk about Jesus, you can't lose. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. I'm going to just explain just one principle to you, and then we're going to look at unity and how unity in the church glorifies Christ. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want you to focus in verse 21, just to him be glory. To him be glory. Now, just a little teaching on this word glory. We have ideas as humans. Back in 2011, we won the Super Bowl. Was it the Super Bowl in 2011? Ravens fans, Pastor Steve? 2012, okay. 2011 season, 2012, or no? Oh, George just stopped with the check. Georgie. Yeah, George has got all the stats. That guy is the Wikipedia of the ministry when it comes to anything. That guy, he's a computer. So the Giants won. But we had a celebration, didn't we? We had a celebration down at M&T Bank Stadium. We had the parade that went through the city. And that was the glory where people came out and they were unified and they were excited They were glorifying the victory that the Ravens had. We have this idea as humans. We understand it of what glory is. But it's a very hard word to define when we speak of God's glory. Now, if I said to you I was going to explain to you the game of soccer, I could explain that to you very easily. I could say there's a ball. You fill it up with air. It's a little hard. You throw it out out on a field, on a pitch. There's parameters of out of bounds and inbounds. There's two goals on either end. You have two teams of 11 or 12, I don't even know. And they try to kick the ball into the goal. And if they score a goal, they get one point or one goal. If you've never known the game of soccer, you would be able to understand that very easily of the mechanics of what the game is. But if I asked you to explain what beauty is, that would be very hard to explain. How do you explain beauty? In words. It's very easy to see beauty. You know, you come back from a beautiful trip and you want to tell your friends about it. 
and you try to tell them the scenery and the sights and what you did, and then you just kind of get frustrated with yourself, and you just say, you just got to go. You got to go see it for yourself. Because my words are not communicating the beauty of what I beheld. God's glory is that way, that it's hard to define. Because it's not something that you define, it's something that you experience. It's something that you see. And we know in Scripture, in Isaiah, it's kind of my keynote place where I go. And Isaiah chapter 6, it says in verse 3, Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. Oh, Roger Osborne's right there. I feel, I feel at rest now. Roger, my good friend, is right there. Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. What is the holiness of God? But it's his separateness. It's his uniqueness. It's his otherness, which is that he's in a category of his own. And when you read through the Old Testament, you see that there's other gods, lowercase g's, the gods of Egypt. And what is Yahweh trying to express to his people? That I am holy God. They are gods, but I am the holy God. I am Yahweh. I'm the God or the Lord of Lords. I am set apart. He is unique. He's not unique just in one attribute, but he's unique in all of his attributes. That there is no one who has the power that he has, the omniscience that he has, the sovereignty that he has, the love that he has, the mercy, the grace. Whatever the attributes are of who God is, he is set apart. He is holy. We understand that, don't we? When you go to an event... I always love it because Jesus used these pictures. When you go to an event, like a wedding, you put on certain garments to go to that event because you were reflecting the holiness of what that event means. That's why when the priests went in to the tabernacle and the temple, they needed to have certain garments that reflected the purity and the holiness of who they were going to come before. He set apart. He is not common. He is not like man. He is holy. But in Isaiah chapter 6, we see that the angels are in the throne room of God and they are crying out day and night, holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his. Why doesn't it say holiness? Because glory is his holiness being revealed. And I know you know that, but I think that's an important thing for us to know. In Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, The heavens and the earth are declaring what? The glory of God. His holiness is always there. But when His holiness is revealed through His creative powers, they are shouting to the created world of His creative powers, which is His glory. And it says that the whole earth is filled with His glory. That means that in this room, right now, is the glory of God. When we go out and we drive down the road, 
and we look up at the skies, the vastness of the skies, and we look up into the universe, and we see the sun, and we see the grassy meadows, and we see the mountains, and we see an animal, and we see a child, we are seeing and beholding the glory of God. But man's problem in Romans chapter 3 is that he fell short of the glory of God. Meaning that he didn't recognize it for what it was. But thought that the created world was just a common thing. And didn't thank him in Romans chapter 1 for what he had given. But if you think in this room, the glory of God is all around us. The only problem is our eyes are blinded, Paul says to the Corinthians. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those to see the glorious gospel. Isn't it amazing that the glory of God, the holiness of God is all around us? But people aren't tuned into it. They don't see it. And even as believers, we can be people that are blinded to the beauty of who Christ is. I always think of when people come into the church, the prayer is always, Lord, open our eyes so that we can see. Not the commonness of a person standing there talking, but we can see through the Holy Spirit that our eyes are open to the beauties of Christ. That Christ is magnificent. Christ is marvelous. And we want to feel marvel, don't we? Don't we? That's why people go to the theaters and watch the Marvel movies. Because they want to see something uncommon. They're so used to the common. I remember working, and every day the mailman would come, or the UPS driver would come, and it was, I just always was, he would go through the routine, and I, we're all there, aren't we, at times, that we're just going through the grind, and we're going through the routine, and we're working our jobs, and we're doing our things, and we always think this is the way it's always going to be. I remember seeing this guy, and it was always another day, another dollar. And I'm like, man, this guy needs a little marvel in his life. This guy needs a little a little shot of something in his life. Because I understand where he's coming from. Because the monotony of life can blind our eyes and weigh us down. And we need to see something marvelous. And that's why we watch the football game. That's why we go to the movie theaters. We want to be marveled. We want to feel something because we've been created to see something beautiful. But in Romans 1, it says that we have taken the created things and made them our gods. And Jesus is saying, guys, I am so much more, so much greater, so much more beautiful. But the natural mind doesn't have the ability to tap into that beauty. It can't see it. It's almost as though if you have a painter and you take a guy like me that doesn't know the first thing about art and I look at a painting, I'm like, looks great. But you have an artist and you have someone who appreciates it and they can just stare and gaze into it and see all the intricate parts of the beauty of that painting. And they could just stand there and it does something inside of them. When you see something beautiful, when you hear a beautiful piece of music, I remember Pastor Mate said, it's, he, he says these little things and they stick with you. He said he was in the opera one time and he, it was just so beautiful. He just laid 
his head back on the chair and closed his eyes and it was like almost like he was lifted up into the heavens. You know, like how he says it. I'm like, man, I want some of that. But people come into the church and they're listening to the message of Christ and they're just like, I can't wait until this guy's done. They don't even have a capacity for it. What is he talking about? First Corinthians 1, it's foolishness. He's not saying anything that is relatable to me in my life. It's not giving me what I need or want. Because the mind is blinded to the beauty of who Christ is. We want to see Christ. You know what people's problem is? Is that they don't see Christ for who he is. Yes, there's logistical things. Yes, there's decisions that need to be made. Yes, there's relationship problems. But what you truly need to see is the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. Lifted up so that you fall down at his feet and you just marvel at the fact that the one who is the most beautiful of all, the one who has created all, has given you the Ability to come into his presence, not only that, but for him to pour his grace out on you so that you will glory in the fact that you are unworthy, but he decided in himself to pour it out on you. Our spiritual eyes need to be open. And so when we come to church, it's a place that is not a common place. It's not an entertainment place. It's not a place that we come to get scratched or feel good about our ego. It's not even a place so that I can hear about myself. It's a place that I can come and hear something so much greater than my own life. It's to hear something majestic, marvelous, high, and that's Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21. Isn't that great? That's great. Marvelous. That's our word for the night. Marvelous. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3. Now, we know that. And that's a beautiful thing. We could just sit, sit on that. In verse 21, where is the glory of the Lord now, but it's in his church. Verse 21, to him be glory in the church. What is the glory? So we could say, what is the holiness that God is working into the church to bring out his glory in the church? What is that holiness? But it's you and I. It's that we are brought in by his grace to glorify the work that he has done. And that is happening now in the church. Now, I just want to very simply just say a few things about the church. And if you can just turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to say that the church is... God's display of his glory in the world. Like Jesus said in John chapter 17, that I pray, Father, that you will make my disciples one. Unity is what God wants in the church. And we love unity. It says in Psalm, is it 133, that 
unity, like how does it go? Like unity is a blessing that is poured out on the church. When we have unity together as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a beautiful thing. Now, in the book of Philippians, I'm just going to look at this and then one other place and then we'll finish. But in Philippi, Philippi, the book of Philippians is a letter. It's a joy letter. Uh, it's a letter that's written not necessarily dealing with any kind of doctrinal issues. It's not like Corinthians uh, where it's dealing with doctrinal issues. It's not dealing with um, necessarily false teachers. Uh, but it's more of a rejoicing in who the Philippians are and it's teaching to them. But there was one issue that Paul was maybe aware of, and we see a few sites in the letter, but there was maybe some disharmony that was in the church. And I want to say this tonight just in the sense that God's plan for the church is that the church will be one and unified because that brings him the most glory. That's how the church can bring him glory. And really, that's what the church is about. We can say the church is a group of people that get together and reach the world. Amen. Yes, it is. It's a place where people can come and learn about the Bible. Absolutely. It definitely is. But it is a place so that the believers in the church can hear about who Christ is, treasure him and glorify him together, unified for who he is. That's what the church is made for. It's for worship. So glorify him. But we need to do it in with unity. Now look in verse 1. Paul is going to encourage the church. He's not going to command them be one. But he, he is. But he's going to do it by letting them know who they are. What they've been given. And then really try to persuade them with these arguments. And he gives four arguments in verse 1, and he says this in verse 1, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So he's going to try to persuade them by saying, if you, he uses the word if, but rather it should be because. It's not an if in the sense that maybe if Christ saved you, but it's rather he has saved you. And because he has done these things, and the first one is that he has encouraged you. Encouragement. It's a, it's a word that is really speaking of Something that is tender. I, I just have this definition here. It's the word that we get paraclesis. It's like in John 14 when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and he's going to be a teacher. He's going to come alongside you. It's the same word. It's because Christ has come alongside you and he has given you personal assistance. He has given you encouragement. Isn't that an amazing thing to think of? Paul is talking to the church, and he's saying, church, you need to be unified, but I'm going to persuade you with different reasons for why you should be unified. And the first one is this. Hasn't Christ come alongside of you and encouraged you and been a helpmate to you? Hasn't he poured out all his spiritual blessings to you? All the resources of heaven, haven't they been poured out on you? Paul is saying, is that not enough to be motivated to try to seek out unity one with another? 
Then he says, any comfort from love. Comfort, the same idea. It's a personal tenderness. It's a tenderness from the Lord, which he has blessed us with. He's tender to us. I love Paul is saying Christ is the example. Christ is the one to follow in the sense of unity. And hasn't Christ first done this to you? Hasn't he encouraged you? Hasn't he given you comfort? And that comfort has come from love. And then he says, any participation in the Spirit. Hasn't the Spirit of God come to you and been a teacher, a comforter, an encourager, a leader, an energizer, a power? He has. I love it in this section. It's Christ and then You've received Christ's encouragement and then comfort from love, which is God is love. That's like the Father. And then any participation in the Spirit. It's like the Trinity's in the first verse. Christ has come alongside of you. God the Father has poured out his abundant love into your heart. And the Spirit has come and he has given you this participation in the body of Christ. Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind. The same mind. What brings the Father joy? This is Paul speaking, bring joy to me, but he's really saying, you bring joy to me because you bring joy to the Father because you're glorifying His Son. But how is it done? By having the same mind, having the same teaching, doctrine. How can you worship the Lord if you don't know who He is? How can you worship the Lord in the sense of just an emotional response, but rather our teaching, our unity is rooted in the mind being renewed. That's an important thing. Our our pastor who founded this church, he taught us that. That listening to the word is the highest form of what? Worship. Why is that? Because how else can you see the beauty of Christ unless the word is actually spoken and every member in the body is receiving it, being taught by the Spirit, being led by the Son, being loved by the Father. That is the thing that unifies us as the body of Christ. Let me just say this. The world is looking for unity, aren't they? I have this little analogy. If you take a bag of marbles and you have it in a bag... The external bag holds the marbles. But as soon as you open the bag up and the marbles spill out, there's nothing holding the marbles together. It's like the world. The world has external things that try to hold people together. But our unity is not external. It's not based on race. It's not based on economics. It's not based on culture. It's not based on money. It's based on internal. You take a magnet and you take some metal shavings and guess what? The internal force of the magnet will pull the metal shavings to it. Our unity is based upon Christ being in us and He is the power source that draws us together. But if you don't have that, guess what? You don't have, you don't have unity. But if Christ is not being lifted up through the teaching of the Word, then you don't see him. Therefore, the pull is not that strong. Like I love my dad at Eurocon this past year talked about how our hungers can actually leave us if we don't feed it. 
Guess what? If you don't feed on the truth, guess where your appetite goes? It goes away. When the Word, not just the Word in the sense of knowledge, but the Word in the sense that the Spirit's revealing the beauty of Christ, when that is lifted up in the church, the people are drawn to that. When Christ is lifted up, all men are drawn unto me. The church in the West got it wrong. The church in the West said we need to reach people with worldly means. So we'll entertain them to fill the seats. But they weren't drawing them to Christ. Christ says, I don't need the world to lead people to me. What they need is the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel. So Christ can clearly be seen and the blind men can now see the beauty of who Christ is. So Paul is saying to them, be of the same mind. Have the same affections, the same sympathies. Have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. What is he saying? Have the mind of Christ. Have the mind being renewed on a daily basis so that your common life becomes uncommon because the Holy Spirit is opening your blind eyes to the beauties of what you're a part of. You are a part of God being glorified on this earth in 2023. Look at this in Colossians. How are you guys doing? Okay, thanks. I'm getting fired up right now. I, it's good. I like it. Okay, look at this. And we know this, but it's, isn't it good? It's refreshing for us to hear it, isn't it? It's refreshing for us to hear it. Colossians chapter 3 in verse, verse 1, he says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. I love this. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me just say this, just a little sub-point. Why is there divisions in churches? Why is there divisions in churches? I would say this, just three points. Ephesians 6, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers. And the devil wants to separate and have divisions in the body of Christ. That's the first one. Acts chapter 20, there's wolves in sheep clothing that come in to the church. And you always have to be aware of people's influences in the church because it does say in Galatians chapter 5, that they were unbelievers that came in masquerading themselves as believers and they produced divisions with the immature believers that caused strife. But it's really rooted in the pride of man. That's why Paul goes on in Philippians chapter 2 and he says, don't let anything be done with selfish ambition or conceit because this doesn't have anything to do with you. Your little agenda, your little ambition is going to come into the church and cause division. And like our pastor taught us, party spirits can happen. Little clicks in the church can happen. It happened in Corinth. It's happened for the last 2,000 years in churches. It's because men become bigger than God. 
and we forget what the church is supposed to be. That the church is supposed to be that Christ is the head. Christ is exalted. And that puts everybody in place. Because it humbles us to even think that Christ even thought it reasonable to place us in it. That's an amazing thing. But look at it in verse 10. He says this, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the new self is renewed in knowledge. I love how James says it. He says, look into the mirror of the word. I don't know what I'm going to be. I don't know what I'm going to look like. First John chapter 3, I don't know what I'm going to be like. But James says in James chapter 1, look into the perfect law of liberty. Because it's like a man looking in a mirror and seeing the reflection of himself. Just like you've never seen your face ever before other than in a mirror or a picture. Just so you haven't seen what you look like in the new man. And James says the only way you can know what you look like in the new man is by looking at the law of liberty, which is the word. And that reflects back to you Christ. And then John says in 1 John chapter 3, when we see him, we will be like him. That's who we truly are. But look at what he says. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And, and here's the point. Here, there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised. There is not barbarian and Scythian. There is not slave or free. But Christ is all in all. Look at what he's saying there. He says, put on the new self because there is neither, and he goes through that list. Now, if you look at that list, the first one, Greek and Jew, that's like a nationalistic identity. These are all different identities. So you have Greek and Jew. So he's saying there's in, in heaven, in the new creation, and the new creation is right now in the sense of the church. This is the start of the new creation. He has a new people called according for his purposes to his name. And this is the church. And he says in the church, it doesn't exist national identity. Because you can think of all the different divisions that can come into a church. So he says, neither Greek or Jew. And then he says, circumcised and uncircumcised. So that's Jew or Greek. But now he's talking about religion. And then he says, barbarian or Scythian. Now, Greeks and Jews, you have to think the Jews saw Gentiles as pigs. They wouldn't go into their house. They wouldn't eat with Gentile utensils. They wouldn't eat. They wouldn't go to a Gentile butcher to buy their meat. They wouldn't do anything with Gentiles because they saw that they were unclean. And the Greeks to respond to that, didn't like the Jews so much either. Circumcised and uncircumcised, we know it's a Jew who is circumcised in the sense that he is the promised one. Uncircumcised are just heathen people that are separated outside of the covenant of God. But then he uses this barbarian and Scythian. Now, barbarians were anyone who was outside of the Greek world. They were babblers. They were people that were hedonistic. They weren't like the Greeks in the sense of being educated, logical, refined, cultured. They were anything outside of the Greeks' idea of what it meant to be a human. 
But then Scythian was even worse. Scythian were like a people group that were, how could we say it, uncultured. They were savages. They were people that, there's many like Josephus, if you write it, I can't find it, but he basically says that they were uncultured, savage. He says there couldn't be any more barbaric people than the Scythians. He says this, they drank the blood of the first enemy killed in battle. That's the Scythian. They made napkins of the scalps. In drinking bowls of the skulls of the slain, they had the most filthy habits and never washed with water. Yeah, sounds pretty gross, right? That's where people, that's what people were saying in the first century when those people came into the church. Barbarians, Scythians, these bloodthirsty warriors, and then slave and free. Slaves, like Aristotle said, slaves were just tools. The tool broke, just get rid of it. They weren't even seen as human. 60% of the Roman Empire were slaves. And free people, like the Philippians, Roman citizens, the best of the best in the Roman Empire. Paul says this in verse 11, in the kingdom of God, there does not exist any of your cultural ideals or norms or statuses. How can we bring glory to God? By laying aside all of our natural thinking and setting our mind on the things above of what Christ has done in the Scythian, in the barbarian, in the free, in the slave, so that everyone comes into one body. And it's not about who's there and who's not there and the people you want and the people you don't want, but rather it's Christ being lifted up and glorified. I just love the fact that you would have a Greek who was schooled in Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and he was logical and he was a thinker, and he was a believer in Christ, and he came into the church on a Sunday on the Lord's Day. And guess who's got the spiritual gift to teach and preach that day? But this young Scythian preacher. And what do you think that that Greek man in his natural state is thinking? Uh, what can this guy ever teach me? What does this guy know? What, is this, what does this guy think he can tell me? This young barbarian, this young Greek. I'm a Jew. I know the Old Testament. What brings glory to God but that the Scythian, the Greek, and the Jew both were saved by the same blood, both purchased by the same sacrifice, both came to the same repentance and the same acceptance, and both were gifted the same grace of salvation and adopted into the family of heaven so that they could be brought in where there is no longer any kind of sinful status or system but rather all are one by the same mind, the same spirit, and all are worshiping the same Savior, so that from every tongue and tribe, every nation from around the globe, there'll be a day when Christ will be lifted up for the whole world to see, and all peoples of all nations will glorify and exalt Him, not themselves. That's going to be a beautiful day. I like to think that those little statuses right there in verse 11, there's no Greek or Jew. Do you know how like in our world, pride of life, we love the pride of life, like where I went to school and what job I have and what education I have. 
And that, those things are all fine. They're not going into eternity, but they're fine. It's like saying going to an aborigine tribe, going to the Brazilian jungle, some unreached tribal people, and you're telling them all of your credentials of the Ivy League schools you went to. Harvard, Stanford, what? I have no idea what you're even talking about. You know, in the body of Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither Scythian or barbarian. None of your earthly statuses that man glories himself in are what the church is about. The church is only about one thing. And it's not to glorify what man has done or what you have accomplished or your own selfish ambition so that you can glorify yourself. But rather, it's a bunch of humble people that are broken because Christ, the most beautiful one of all, has come to you personally and shown compassion on you and brought you into a family where you're sitting next to someone you would never sit next to in your natural maybe, but you're all lifting up the same Savior. That's what brings glory to Christ right now on the earth. Unity in the body of Christ. But our pride can get in the way, but that's okay. Because the cross has come into our life so that we can sacrifice, like Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, I glory in nothing so that I can gain Christ. And when you have a group of people that have lost their reputation and their life and their ambition and their goals and me, 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 look at me, but rather they have lost all of that because it is nothing in comparison to the treasure they found in that field that they say, are you kidding me? Don't even talk about me for two seconds. Let's talk about this treasure that we have found. And when you have a group of people that come together in a church and we are all like that song we just saying in worship that we exalt thee. There is a manifestation in the body of Christ. And there is angels singing. And it's going up into the heavens. And it's bringing pleasure and glory back to the Father. And we are saying, like, we have come to the most beautiful concert we have ever heard. And we are just lifting our hands up and just saying, it is my good pleasure Because what I am experiencing, what I am seeing is so beautiful that the only response that I can have is I just want to praise you. And let me just say, that's where true freedom lies. True freedom does not lie in feeding my self-life. True freedom lies in losing myself and exalting the one that is the only one that can truly satisfy. And that's Christ. He's beautiful. That's our word for the night. He's beautiful. So, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for just your grace that you have poured out on all of us that none of us deserve any of it. We don't deserve a thing. But your glory, you decided in yourself in Ephesians chapter 1 that we would be the vessels of your grace and that we would be the vessels of your glory, meaning that we would receive the pleasure and the benefit from the Father so that in return our only response is to give you glory. And that we can, in 2024, just in the normalcy of life and the commonness of life, 
that we can learn more and more and scratch even deeper the depths of what we are in. And that that can deal with our sin and our pride and our unbelief and all of that. That you can open our eyes and you have done it for decades. And we're so thankful for that. But we're asking for more and more in our personal life and in our church life. That here, 6025 Moravia Park Drive and Sailors Union and, and Frederick and Havre de Grace and Silver Spring and all around the world that is not man-focused, but it's Christ-centered and Christ-glorifying. That we can be satisfied that that is what we are part of. We just thank you and praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.